Hello and happy Friday. Welcome to the School of Nursing podcast. We are back for episode number eight. I think last time I talked, uh, I thought it was episode number eight, but in fact, it was episode number seven. So this time we are actually on episode number eight. Um, and we have a guest today with us named Christina. Um, she is a registered nurse here in central Alberta. So welcome, Christina. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me. Thanks for having me, Lisa. So the reason that um, I asked to speak to Christina is she was, and, and you can clarify your role in this, but a part of the Central Alberta Sexual Assault Response Team, or CASART, um, which currently works in the Red Deer Emergency Department. So Christina, I don't know if you could just introduce yourself. What is your history in nursing and what is this role all about? Okay, well, I graduated from the Red Deer College University of Alberta Collaborative Program back in 2009. And at the end of my um, schooling, I did my final preceptorship in the emergency department and I fell in love with the area and I just never left. I never wanted to try anything else. I just, I knew that that was my niche and I was happy to be there. Um, I jumped from casual line to casual line eventually pulling off a full-time 12-hour line and I did that for about six years. During that time we had the case art program and back then it was physician-led um, and as the nurse on the team back then we were the assistant to the physician. We would get pulled off of the floor and we would uh, do initial assessment of a patient that had presented with uh, sexual assault and then we would get the room set up and then we'd call a physician in at that time it was family practitioners so it was all female family physicians and we would call them and we would wait till they would arrive and we would assist the physician in doing a forensic exam for the RCMP. Um and then in 2017 we found out that our our program was going to go through a very, very big change because our physicians had kind of dwindled over the last few years, not wanting to pick up as much call. It was impacting their own family time, their their time in their clinics, those sorts of things. So they had kind of said, we're, we're going to step back from the program. You guys are going to have to figure it out on your own. And then... Um, we kind of developed a new program where we became the lead on the team and we did, we are now doing nurse assessments. So we be, have become sexual assault nurse examiners for the central zone. Um, on top of working for the, the sexual assault team, I am one of the regular assistant head nurses in the emergency department. So between my two hats, I'm very busy, a very busy woman. <laughs> I can imagine. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I think we've all heard of some horror stories lately about the wait times in ER. So I can only imagine like what your staffing ratios are like and, oh, and things like that. Oh my goodness. It's, it's challenging. I, yeah. I, I've chosen a career path that is very challenging right now. So mm -hmm. challenging, but rewarding. Yes, absolutely. So um, the case art program in general, um, what specific training did you have to go through in order to, I guess, function independently on this team? Okay, so when we were kind of notified that 
our physicians were going to be leaving the group. Um, our lead at the time, Ronnie Belinsky, she approached me and she was like, okay, the program is about to take a huge change. It's either going to fall back on the emergency doctors, which they were not happy about. They don't have time to do a three to four hour exam with the patient because they're seeing too many people in the department itself. So we knew that that was not going to be an option for us. So Ronnie, myself, and two other nurses, we reached out to the Edmonton sexual assault team. And because at that time we knew that they were nurse-led and they were actually, they work on a, they work from an office and they get paged and they go to, they're all over Edmonton and surrounding hospitals and they actually go from their office or from home, depending on the time of day, to each hospital to see each patient and it's completely nurse driven. Okay. So we went up and we had several meetings with them, learned their process, learned exactly what they had to do for training and they ended up because they are what we call SANE A certified. So that's a certification that they've obtained through the International Association of Forensic Nurses. Once you have that certification, you can teach new nurses to become sexual assault nurse examiners. So we took uh, several education days from them. Each of us went up and spent about 48 to 72 hours in Edmonton and shadowed their, their nurses and went and observed their exams. Um, on top of that, we each had to do several um, observed exams with emergency doctors, with gynecologists, learning how to actually perform pelvic exams because up until that point, a pelvic exam wasn't something that was in our scope of practice to complete. I didn't know what a cervix looked like. I had no idea what normal anatomy was on the female genitalia other than what I normally see when you know you put in a catheter. So everything beyond that was completely new. So at the time, at the beginning in 2018, that's all the training that we had done. Uh, and then we went live in March 2018 and since then it's been all us we do call 24 hours a day there's always somebody available and we come in and do um, the one-on-one exams with the patients um, three years ago um, Ronnie and myself we we um, went through the Mount Royal College and uh, just the online program and did a actual sexual assault nurse examiner course so we have a course under our belt uh, and then eventually, I'm hoping to go forward and get my actual CNA certification through the, the International Association of Forensic Nurses. But for right now, it's kind of just mm-hmm. the courses that I took and the on-hand training that we did with the Edmonton SART team. Wow. You know, it, it really just makes me appreciate how many different avenues you can take in this job. You know, like when you think about just having kind of a generalized nursing degree and then all of a sudden finding this this little niche really in like this huge department, I just think is so magnificent that that those options are out there, you know, and that you can go ahead and and pursue these things, right, that mm-hmm. that you're passionate about. So what is um, the program of, of Case Art? What is the mission of it? Like, what's the goal of, of this program in particular? 
Um, it's really patient advocacy, patient focus. Our patients are our number one. Like we, someone presents to the hospital, they the nurses call us. We go in, we see them, and we're with them from initial interview until they walk out the door. So we could be with a patient for a couple of hours, or we could be with them for seven hours. Mm-hmm. We don't hand them over. It's very rare that we'll hand somebody over, like if they need to stay for extensive testing or something. But generally speaking, we are with them until they walk out the door. Um, and it, it's just to, our biggest push for our patients is to give them their power back. Because if you can imagine being sexually assaulted, you've had all of your choices taken away. You've mm-hmm. been forced into something or unaware that something has even happened to you. So we really are great advocacies, advocates to have our patients take their power back. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that is absolutely magnificent. I know um, one of our courses in first year is very heavy in content about patient advocacy and the role as a nurse in that um, and recognizing the needs in your patient um, in order to fulfill that, in order to fulfill those needs. So I think this this program and this conversation is a really, really great fit um, for that course as well. Um, so what does, um, just out of curiosity, what does an initial exam, like you said, it, it took about three hours, but what does that actually consist of? Like, what do you have to do when someone comes in? Okay. So most of the time our patients have no idea what it means to present to the department. Sometimes they think they're just coming in to get checked out. And sometimes they think that they're getting everything done for them, including admission. So we meet them in a private area. Um, and we have an initial conversation with them. I explain what my role is. I explain that I am a nurse. I will complete their entire head-to-toe exam and treat them for anything that I think is medically necessary based on the my findings of the exam and the extent of their assault. And then I explain to them that I also work for the RCMP. So working for the RCMP um, entails if they want to pursue charges against somebody or initiate an investigation to the person that sexually assaulted them, I can call the RCMP on their behalf, give a a semi-statement on their behalf over the phone, and then get permission to collect a forensic kit. So then we do a forensic kit collection, and um, so after we collect the forensic kit, when they're discharged, we explain to them afterwards, you get to follow up with the RCMP after you've had some sleep, after you've had something to eat, after you've had some time to gather your thoughts, and then you go down and you give your statement. Um, the other thing we do offer to, to some of our patients is a third option. If someone is hesitant to involve the police, they're not sure what they wanna do, They really need some time to think about it. There isn't really time to think about whether they want to collect evidence or not. It's it's either now or never. I mean, we have seven days to collect evidence from a patient's body. Mm -hmm. We don't want them to have to come back the next day. So we'll offer them the third option, which means we collect the evidence. We put it in a box. We don't put their name on the box. And after they've been discharged home, we call the RCMP and we tell them that we have an anonymous kit for them to come pick up. And then it gives that patient the opportunity to think about things and they have up to a year to make a decision about what they want to do with their evidence box. 
Wow. I did not even know that was an option. I figured it was like a, like a now or never kind of thing. That is really interesting. It's actually really cool because most, most people don't know what to do in the moment. And it's hard because yes, I can do a medical exam on somebody. And we, if we do a medical, we will do um, injury identification where we document all of their bruises, all of their tenderness, all of their abrasions, everything that we can see. And that can still be used in a court of law if they decide to go down that road later. But if I collect an evidence kit anonymously for them and a week later they decide, you know what, I don't want them to get away with it, they just call us mm-hmm. and then we get consent from them and then we call the police and they release the kit mm-hmm. and everything's already been done and they don't have to go through another exam. Mm-hmm. I think that's re- a really good example of very well laid out patient centered care as well. Like in terms of allowing the patient to process it the way that they need to process it and not necessarily having to process it in the moment and make decisions in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. Holy moly that yeah, that is really interesting. So I'm curious like when this program was either first initiated or when your team decided that you knew that you need to continue it. What patterns were you seeing in the community or in your patients that were presenting to the ER that you knew that this was a need that we have to continue this program. Um, Well. We've always collected statistics on the number of people that present, and our coordinator, Ronnie, has been with the team way longer than I have. Mm-hmm. And even before I joined the team back in 2010, I think I joined, she saw the numbers rising, and they've risen every single year since she joined. Mm-hmm. So just knowing that just the increase in numbers of the patients requiring this type of care, we knew how important it was to be able to continue to provide for our patients. Mm -hmm. Um, Because prior to the family physicians doing the exams for us back in 2017, the eMERGE doctors would do it. And they didn't have a lot of time to dedicate to do a really thorough exam. Mm -hmm because they they had to respond to the code blues and they had to respond to trauma calls. And if somebody was actively having a heart attack, they would have to go and take care of those things because those took priority. So we knew, and we because we have the time to dedicate to them from start to finish, we knew it was really important to make sure that this program continued. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I'm so glad you did. Oh my goodness. So what benefits have you seen Um, other than like saying, allowing the patients to process it or having that one-on-one care, is there any other benefits, like really clear benefits that you have seen in patient care that have come from CaseArt? Our patients are happier. They, um, one of the things that our coordinator does is she follows up with every single patient. Mm -hmm. She phones up and makes sure they have their results, explains that they understand what their results mean they need anything further for care Um, and she also she also asks them how is there any feedback you have for the nurses or anything that I can give to the nurse to make things better for the next patient Mm -hmm. and they always 
I don't think she's received a single complaint. It's always, the nurse was amazing. I really appreciated that they were there for us. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, it's not that the family physicians gave terrible care. We were always at, we always had to, they, they always had other things going on. Yeah. So they would be in clinic and we'd call them and say, okay, I have a patient here. I'm ready to do the exam. When can you be here? Well, I have to finish X, Y, Z, and I'll be there as soon as I can. So there was a lot of time where we sat waiting for the physician to arrive to do the exam. Mm-hmm. So I I know that our patient satisfaction has gone up significantly since we switched to this program. Mm-hmm. I can imagine too that like when someone comes in with such a sensitive issue like that you know if a physician was always saying oh i have to go i have to go i have to go you know i think that would really break down that that relationship right so the fact that that a nurse can come in that's on call and actually be with that patient for the entirety of that experience um i can see why there is a lot of positive feedback that you get yeah and that's that's exactly it we are there we're not interrupted, we're not called out. I mean, occasionally, because we are the only person on call for the whole central zone, sometimes my phone will ring in the middle of an interview or a phone and I'll, I'm, sorry, I'm so sorry, I have to take this call, I'll mm-hmm. be right back, but it's very rare. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm curious, like in terms of, because this is something that we also talk to students about, is how to create uh, change in our communities and how to do that on multiple other levels, right? So we can see very clearly that you're changing outcomes for individuals. And I'm curious um, if you can speak at all to the process of that policy change, right? Because that occurs at more of a, um, like a, I guess a community or even like in some way, shape or form a government level, right? Because you would have to be using this, like, like this program would have to be approved by someone, right? Um, so I just don't know if you can or, or know if you can talk to that that policy part of it at all. Like, was it difficult to continue the program under new, like under a new um, way? No, because like what happened was is all of our physicians had basically collectively come to our our program coordinator Ronnie and said, as of January we're not interested in taking call anymore. Mm-hmm. And then Ronnie took it to our eMERGE uh, physician group and said, okay, it's back on you guys. You guys are going to have to take care of this. And they were not interested. Mm-hmm. So then Ronnie started thinking of other avenues. Okay, well, if the physicians just don't have time to deal with this, then what are the other options? And at the time, the only other option was to send them to another city and out of zone, like they would either Mm -hmm. have to go to Calgary or they'd have to go to Edmonton. And for some people, that's just not feasible. Mm -hmm. Like they just don't have the transportation. So we had to come up with another plan. So when she did her research and found out that Edmonton was a nurse-based program, she went to our manager at the time and she said, I need your support in making changes and this is something that the central zone needs. And she was very supportive of it. We mm-hmm. all immediately had um, initial training done, and we all went to Edmonton, and they, they paid for us to go up and get our training completed. And they were very supportive of it because they recognized that this was something very important 
mm-hmm. to our community, to the people that present to our zone. So that's yeah, it, that's yeah, amazing. I think I think in terms of like, and I mean, I'm sure there were barriers along the way, but I think in terms of actually, you know, taking this idea and doing the research and now implementing all of these strategies how are we going to get there how are we going to get the training how are we going to create an on-call schedule you know things like that um i just think is incredible that that it went like it did um does your so when you talk about having a position in er are these shifts included in that as well no so i have i I hold currently a 0.85 okay which is quite high and then between myself and the nine other nurses that are on the team, we all provide days off availability. And then Ronnie takes all of the availability and plunks it into the schedule about who's available on days off. And then the schedule goes out. And if there's holes in the schedule, then we kind of pick up here and there so that we have coverage. Mm-hmm. And then we get, we get paid per union for um, X days and non-X days based on call schedule we get Mm -hmm. we get paid for being on call and then when we we get paid appropriately when we get when we get to come in and see a patient so Mm -hmm. we just kind of manage it ourselves and it's so far it's worked out for us oh that's awesome so I'm curious like what when patients come in are they like I know specifically there's sexual assault but is there a common underlying theme um, that comes along with that like in terms of um like situations or scenarios or age groups or things like that like do you have kind of a a demographic that you see most frequently um definitely pre-covid we saw a lot of i was out at the bar i had some drinks i don't know what happened Mm -hmm. i woke up without my clothes on that was a good chunk of what we saw Mm -hmm. and now that really for a good chunk of the last two years bars weren't really an option there's been no real clear pattern the patients are still coming in but we can't really there's no real true pattern to it as per se but Mm -hmm. yeah i wasn't sure if covid would have changed things like in terms of you know intimate partner violence or um, you know, things like that, if it, if it would, um, increase that because of the social isolation or, you know, like, like all the lockdowns, right. Where people were encouraged not to leave their homes or to work from home or, uh, things like that. I just wasn't sure if there was a a pattern there in the last two years. Yeah. Well, we initially expected our numbers to go down when everybody was put on lockdown and Mm -hmm. for probably the first month or so they definitely did, but then we we've beat our numbers for last year and last year the year before each each year has gone up Mm -hmm. so it's continued with the pattern of the past of every year there's just a little bit more yeah yeah now is it is it that there's more sexual assault or just people know about our program and they're coming forward there's no way for us to know but the numbers are increasing every year yeah, if it's the type of thing where the awareness of the program is, and, and I mean, I guess if that is the reason that the numbers are increasing, I guess that's a good thing, right? Because then people are trusting the program exactly. and are, are getting feedback, like positive feedback about it, that it's, you know, that that the service is good and that it's 
it's worth going to, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I, I when we talk in this class about uh, social justice and advocacy, we really talk a lot as well about like vulnerable pop, vulnerable populations. And when you recognize that there's an issue within a population, how do you solve that? Um, and how do you create resources for them that are going to advocate for them and that are going to meet the needs of the community that you are currently serving? And like I said, I think this case art is just the most perfect example um, of a need that, that somebody saw in a community in order to have this, this nursing role there. So the next thing I'd really like to know about is I can imagine that when you are nursing in these situations, that it can be very stressful for you as well. Um, and what I would like to know is when you have those situations that, you know, they're, they're hard to shake off when you leave and, and things like that, how do you take care of yourself? It's tough. So we do talk amongst ourselves. Like we have a pretty close knit group. We have a group chat and we do reach out to each other frequently. Um, we get together as a group and we talk about the, the gross cases. Mm -hmm. um, myself, like I'm probably closest with Ronnie and we actually we joke that we're each other's work wives because <laughs> <laughs> when we're not at work, we talk to each other quite frequently on the phone. So I know that I can reach out to her at any time. And um, I can think of a couple months ago, I had I had a real doozy and I was like, why am I doing this? And I called her and told her the grossness of what I had dealt with. And she was like, but just remember, you were there for her and her grossness, and you helped her feel better about it. And so we're really good at keeping each other in check when we have to deal with a lot of gross. Mm -hmm. It's almost like that informal debrief, right, where you can call someone oh, yeah. and just and just you know word vomit someone that understands what you're going through and understands the type of things that you see. Because I can, like I said, I can imagine in this type of role, and maybe I can't imagine because I've never done it, um, the types of things that you may see um, and hear, and you know the stories that some patients would tell. I can imagine that they're difficult, right? Difficult to deal with personally and. Yeah, I, I always wonder that, like, when you're in a difficult role like that, how do you cope? And how do you keep your sanity and then want to go back and do it again? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, like, there is a bit of a slight degree of desensitization, almost. Mm -hmm. Like, when you hear this, like, a similar story over and over again, like, I was out with friends and things got out of control, like, those types of stories, I can almost not shut my feelings off, but I can, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm used to the, the emotion of that. It's when I hear something totally out of left field, like for the first time in 10 years, somebody had disclosed that it, there was violence going on for years. Mm -hmm. And the time that she came to see me, this was the first time she'd ever told anybody. Oh, and wow. that was really hard because I was like, wow, this is, I'm the person you're letting this out to now what do I do with it? Yeah. Yeah. And how do you support her in the best way possible? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you frequently get, um, like male population or is it mostly female? Well, it's mostly female. We do have some males that come through our, our, um, 
program. Mm -hmm. I have yet to take care of any men that have come through, but I know some of the other nurses in the group have cared for men, but primarily our population sees females. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess, wow, thank you for sharing all of that. I appreciate it. So I I guess my last question for this conversation um, is, I guess, what, what are the best and worst parts of your job? Um, well, I, I would say the best part is, is kind of one of the things that I keep in the back of my mind or closest to my heart when I'm dealing with these people is that they've just been through something absolutely horrific and they don't even know how to deal with those feelings. I view myself as that one person that light in their darkness Mm -hmm. that can help them get through one of the most horrible things that could have ever happened to them. So that's how I help myself get through it in a way is that I am that goodness Mm -hmm. in that horrible time. So that's probably the best part. And then like getting to hear feedback about, wow, that nurse was, she was so good. She was so Mm -hmm. kind. She, you know, she really helped me get through that time. So that's probably the best part of my job. Mm -hmm. And what's the, I was going to say, what's the hardest part of the job other than like, you know, we talked about kind of the emotional toll that it, that it will take on you, but what's the hardest part of this role? Um, sometimes the stories are surprising like you can hear this like I said same story over and over again and you kind of become desensitized to some stories and then you'll go in and think it'll be like okay this is going to be a similar story I just have to put on my face and get through the moment and help them get through this and they'll tell you something utterly horrible like stuff like that you're it shouldn't happen you see it in movies or on TV, but it's not supposed to happen in real life. Someone will share something so horrific and I have to stay face and try and be supportive and not let my emotions come to the surface because it's not about me or my feelings. It's about supporting them through what they've been through. So it's the, the really shocking stories that are hard. Mm -hmm. Um, Kids are hard too. Like, yeah, when parents bring their kids in and they're like, yeah, my, my kids were at their stepdads or whoever's and they're telling you, oh, their vagina hurts. And it's like, this is the kids are so innocent. (laughs) So kids are really hard. It's hard when you have to examine a child to make sure that they're okay. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say, I guess, I guess from a parent's point of view, you certainly want to be better safe than sorry, I guess. So yeah. I, yeah. I, I can't, like I said, I can't imagine as a parent actually, actually having to pursue something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and, and I know that you're a parent as well, so I can't imagine having to receive something like that as well. Yeah. Um, I think th- that got worse after I had my daughter, like mm-hmm. after I had my child, and I had to deal with pediatric sexual assaults. It became tenfold more upsetting mm-hmm. because I was a mom. And you're you're dealing with a parent who's brought their child in who's had something traumatic to them that 
generally they don't even understand what happened to yeah. them yeah. or that it was bad. They just yeah. know that things hurt down there. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That, that is a, that is a very heavy role. And I just, I commend you for doing it. Cause I think if, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of people out there that that would not be something that they would pursue because it is, it would be a very difficult job. So I thank you for the wonderful, wonderful work that you're doing for our community. And I hope that, um, I hope that the nursing students that are listening really recognize the connection here between the needs of our community and uh, patient advocacy, uh, like Christina touched on, um, that that really strong patient advocacy piece in what they need and what their priorities are and how we can help them. Um, because I think that really is one of our most important jobs as nurses is to advocate for the people that we're caring for um, in whatever way, shape or form that comes in. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm like, and also thank you for holding up the ER because I know it's in rough shape there too. Oh, <laughs> sometimes it's nice to just, so with my role, like I'm on call and it seems like I'm on call a lot, but I'm not always there. Mm -hmm. So when I get a call and I have to go in, I... I swoop in, I take care of my patient, I'm there for them. When they're discharged, I swoop out. I can kind of have my blinders on and I don't know what's going on and I'm like, sorry, I'm here for my patient, I'm leaving now. Good luck, everybody. You're like, just pretend I'm not here. <laughs> and, and I have to say that sometimes because people will, people will see me and they'll be like, oh, hey, can you come start this IV for somebody? I'm like, nope. no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm here for case art today, I, I can't help you. Yeah. And you know what? I think in terms of setting personal boundaries, that's a really healthy thing to do, right? Is that yeah. you're not going in and being like, okay, fine, I'll stay for another couple hours or, yeah. you know, just really having those personal boundaries as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th Christina, thank you so much for talking to us today. Um, oh, you're I welcome. really, really appreciate your insights and you taking your time out of your day to do this. So yeah, I think we'll end it here and Okay. Care. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. We'll talk soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye.